It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome in to your Friday morning edition of the Locked On Knicks podcast. Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf with you here for our first ever Fan Friday where we welcome on our guest, Sam Montella, uh, I'm guessing his height, maybe 5'10", shooting guard out of Penn State. We are super excited to have him on. He wrote out a whole show for us, but before we even get into that, we got some background on him as a Knicks fan, his favorite moments as a Knick, and why they're very similar to mine based on when we were born. I think we're going to need to work up like some sort of a some sort of a fan Friday intro in the future. But you know, Sam Sam kicked us off. We're going to need to do like fan 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 Friday Friday <laughs> Friday Friday. At any rate, Sam brought us a great topic for tonight, which was to figure out which current NBA players Knicks are most like. And we started off with some comparisons for Dennis Smith Jr., Kevin Knox, Frank Nilakina, and Mitchell Robinson. And then we finished up by asking if Alonzo Trier could have two girls like Lou Will and whether Kudim Allen is better than some other mediocre backups across the NBA. And we finish up by projecting Chris Tapps Porzingis' next five years in the NBA. Only one of us had him ending up as a garden snake. That and more <laughs> next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Knox foul from behind, counting at one, as Fisdale pumps his fist. What he does is contagious. Robinson with a catch and slam. Across the lane to Trier. Trier drives down. Welcome in to a Friday morning edition of the Locked On Knicks podcast. Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf with you. And for the first time in a while, we have a third guest. It's our first ever edition of Locked On Knicks Fan Friday. Our first ever winner of the inaugural edition of Fan Friday, Sam Montella, who got a little bit of background into the podcasting world as we recorded five minutes with Sam. Except we didn't. I didn't hit the record button. So we're starting again. But Sam, once again, welcome into Locked On Knicks. We are so happy to have you on. Yeah, for the second time, I'm glad to be here. It's uh, pretty exciting. I, sa- I said before, I'm pretty nervous. It feels like a job interview. No, I can, I can tell it's genuine because you haven't, you haven't lost any excitement <laughs> since the first <laughs> All right. Uh, so essentially, um, well, the reason, first of all, the differentiator between Sam and some of our other applicants is that Sam literally sent us a full rundown for the show which which i don't think anyone else did so sam quite literally put more work into this podcast than i won't speak for alex but than i do at points and <laughs> essentially sam and, and let me know if i'm messing this up but your premise was taking current knicks and comparing them to other guys across the nba usually we'd have two different comparisons for some of the younger knicks one of them sort of being the upside for the player and another one sort of being the downside for the player yeah that's that's essentially it okay All sliding right. scale Right. And before we even get into that, I, I wanted to kind of get some background on you. Um, how did you initially become a Knicks fan? Yeah, so um, I became a Knicks fan through my older brother, actually. Uh, I grew up in Jersey, which I know kind of takes a, a ding to my credibility already, I think. Yo, no, 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 no. Don't, be, don't be ashamed of that. Shouts to Jersey. <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, in New Jersey right now. So all right, cool, cool, cool. Um, but, I mean, my dad was a Celtics fan. Uh, my little brother was, is a heat fan. I, I think he's a big Chris Bosch guy or something. I don't know. Um, and then I don't know. My older brother just got me into the Knicks and I just, I don't know. I guess I could say I'm a loyal guy. I just stuck with it. But I mean, it's pretty much been a bad tenure since the whole time because I mean, I could argue, I mean, I'm 25, so I was born in 93. So I could argue that I was alive for 98 cause I was, but I don't remember shit from 98. So basically my best moment is beating the Celtics in what, 2013, 2012? Yeah, 2013. 2012-13, yeah. 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 And and really, my favorite moment from that was developing a hatred for J.R. Smith shooting 20% in that Pacers series. So that's that's kind of my fondest memory so far. 
<laughs> you find that's the most Nixy answer of all time. My, <laughs> my favorite memory of being a Knicks fan is learning to hate somebody. <laughs> yeah. J.R. Smith, come on down. He's the guy. Ray Felton, too, while we're at it. And Tyson Chandler, all three of them. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I always say, like, the first, because I'm in the same boat as you. I was, I was born in 95, so I, I really I didn't get to experience, like, anything remotely nope. outside of that season. I would argue, in my mind, I, I think the first 20 games of that season, I've said this on on the podcast before, were, were pretty clearly the highest and most excited I've ever been on the Knicks. Because there was that weird stretch, and they finished the season this way, but it was at a completely different level over the first 20 games, where it yeah. hadn't totally broken down yet. And they were <laughs> kind of ahead of the entire curve in the league in terms of shooting threes. Like They were shooting a record number of threes. They were making like 38, 39% of them, like Steve... Fucking Novak was doing the discount double check every <laughs> time. Novak. It was, to me, that those 20 games are kind of the golden era of the Knicks. Because all, all the guys who were sort of ahead of like um, even like just like not even the analytics curve, but just in terms of like splitting up the season, were saying like, look, like the Knicks were amazing the first 20 games. After that, they were basically like an average like playoff team. And, and then that kind of showed up beating the Celtics and then sort of getting run by those paces in the second round. But to me, those 20 games, especially like uh, when they all said Rashid Wallace in the in the lineup. Are always, yeah. As, as the golden era of my uh, Knicks fandom. Sam, the worst... let me ask you this. I'm just I'm yeah, curious. Who's who's your favorite Nick being being like on the younger end of the spectrum? Oh, it's 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 no doubt Mello. I mean, my mom my mom went to Syracuse, so I grew up a Syracuse fan. So like, I already had that attachment to him. So I'm, I'm a I'm a uh, Mello guy. I'll defend Mello to the death, and I still do to this day. But um, Mello is definitely my favorite Nick. Nice. All right. Uh, important, uh, important follow up question on that. Um, that is totally unrelated to it. Maybe we might we might circle back to Mel. What, what is the and, and I, I didn't prime you for this. So you might you might not have something. But what is what is the like most stringently you've disagreed with anything that me or Alex has said? Like, have you ever started like cursing us out while listening to the podcast? Hmm. Uh no, I no, there's nothing that, that there's nothing that comes off the top of my head that I can really like speak to i know you guys are looking for some something to disagree on so hopefully i can provide that tonight with these comparisons yeah i really i, I, I wanted i wanted some spice and we're not we're it's, it's tough because we we usually like we are generally in agreement like and i think i i do think at some point we'll have someone come on who's just going to start screaming at me like about the <laughs> they're, they're going to be like really nice like in the messages leading up oh yeah like thanks a lot gavin like i'm so excited to talk to you guys and then like the second we like put them on air they're going to be like fuck this guy KP's a snake. He doesn't know what he's talking about, and I was I was kind of hoping for that for you, Sam. But I I appreciate. Well, I mean, I, it took me like it took me like three hours to get over the Porzingis trade. I'll be honest. Right, dude. Like, I, I got to give you credit, like, for being a nice guy and not calling Gavin out right there. I, like, very nice. Of you. <laughs> I I I don't know about you guys. I felt genuinely relieved after like two hours after he was traded. I was just like, thank God it's over. Like. I, I knew it was probably going down like there wasn't going to be uh, like a big makeup. I didn't think it was going to end well with us and him. So, I mean, I just felt relief. And like I thought they did the best they could with, with the options they had, knowing all the information now. So I was OK with it. Yeah, I felt the same way. I, that's yeah. kind of, you know, that's kind of where I was in the headspace I was at by the time that we recorded that podcast that night, I think. I yeah. kind of just come to terms with it at that point. And don't get me wrong, right when it happened, my jaw was on the floor. Like, I turned around. I was at work. Like, I turned around. Like, I work with, like, 15 people in one room. I just turned around. I was like, holy shit, Porzingis is trading. Everyone's like, because we joke, and they're like, you're fucking with me. Can I swear? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Swear away. Yeah, they're, like, they're like, you're fucking with me. No one even believed me. Like, that's how ridiculous it was. Yeah. Yeah. I was going through a similar situation because I was at the busiest point of my work day when that whole thing went down. Yeah, and it was Gavin's like we're like texting back and forth and I'm like talking to the posting and toasting people and we're like, oh, my God, what's going on? And then like I'm like, dude, like I got I had to just like close all Internet for like 30 <laughs> minutes because I had to finish my work day because I have like yeah. a driven job. It was it was not a great day like for, yeah, for that to like... happen, I should say not a great time. I should say for that to happen. I, like, I left work early. I just died to process. I, I have a 50-minute subway ride back up. I live in the Upper East Side. I took the 50 minutes and just kind of sat back and closed my eyes. I was like, what the hell? And then I was okay with it. I'm, I am okay with it. I thought it, if, obviously, depending on the summer, 
it, it worked out for the best. What's your uh, what's like your confidence level in in Durant and in Kyrie? <sighs> so I actually spent like uh, I spent like eight or ten years living in the Boston area. So they are like they I never bet against the Celtics or any New England sports team because it just keeps kicking me in the ass. Um, Durant, I'm. I have to say, I'm I'm pretty confident about Durant. I mean, all this stuff that's out, we all know what, what's out there. It's it's pretty damning, and like, I don't at this point, I'm not going to guarantee it. That would be stupid, but like, I'd be shocked if he didn't come. Kyrie, not so much because if they do well in the playoffs, then I I could see him staying just as easily. I also see him as kind of a volatile guy. To be like, this might be even crazy, but like so pissed off the media that he just like it helps him it pushes him to staying i don't even know but that thought has popped in my head before um so not so confident on Kyrie. i think if katie does come i mean how could he not come but i think i think we have a pretty good shot at definitely katie yeah it's starting to feel more telegraphed at this point, yeah it's starting to feel obvious i mean him moving his offices to new york and stuff it's just like what it's little things like that, but it's just like there's there's so many of them are building up that it just makes it seem like it. I would be shocked if he didn't come. Yeah, it's it is like similar to, or it's starting to feel a little bit similar to last year, where like everyone just kind of knew LeBron yeah. going to LA. But I also yeah. like I can't like my mind doesn't work. That can't way. wrap my head around. I, on I can't. It. I feel like if I lock it in, I know it's not going to happen. Is the way I'm thinking about it. So I basically like. Yeah, I, I want to be. I want to be proven wrong. I want to be dubious. I want to be doubtful. I want to be pessimistic until it happens, and then like people can go on Twitter and be like, "Screw you! I knew it was going to happen," and I can be like, "Yeah, you're absolutely right. Thank God I was wrong." So I just I yeah, want to get to that point. Basically, we're scared of being like the uh, the boy who cried wolf. I mean, you go in people's Twitter like Twitter like mentions and shit, and like people who aren't Knicks fans are just like. Yeah, same old Knicks. They're not going to get anyone. And I'm just like, we are going to get this one. I swear. It's so, I mean, I don't know. I think we're going to get them, but I, I don't, I don't really know. Yeah. It I feels don't like we're due. I hope that, I hope that when we look back that the summer of 2019 gets looked at as like the summer of the Knicks. Yeah. I mean, you'd hope. Yeah. Anyway. Held my breath last night when Zion went down. But... Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's okay. Just a little spring. I know, I know, I know, I know. But last night at the moment, I was like, whew. <laughs> honestly that would have probably helped the knicks because you know would, the knicks are going to fall back and then yeah you know, maybe some team talks himself out of him i was thinking today if he tore his acl we definitely would have got the first pick yeah <laughs> <laughs> that would have been typical all right no um, that will uh we'll wrap up our first segment because i want to i want to get into these uh comparisons so we'll come back next first ever fan friday with sam montella uh talking about if dennis smith jr is more Eric Bledsoe or Reggie Jackson, and more comparisons between young Knicks and current NBA players. Next on Locked On Knicks. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back 
to Locked On Knicks. I am Alex Wolf. I am joined, as always, by Gavin Shaw and not, as always, by Sam Montella here for our first Fan Friday, Triple F, first Fan Friday. Uh, we're doing, Sam sent us a really cool idea for a show uh, today. So we're comparing Knicks, like the, the current Knicks, to current NBA players and trying to decide if they're more like this guy or more like that guy. So we're going to jump right into that because I'm intrigued and excited to get into this. Uh, I guess we'll we'll start with Dennis Smith Jr. here. Uh, do you want to lead us in, Sam, since this is like your segment? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll bring us in. So basically, they wrapped it up earlier, but it's just comparing um, current Knicks to current NBA players. And my idea behind it was at least doing like a – it's a scale, so there's always room for more comparisons, and I encourage that. But the first one, yeah, so Dennis Smith Jr., is he more like Eric Bledsoe or Reggie Jackson? Um, <laughs> I still haven't even really come up with a full answer for this, but I think I would have to give him the edge and go, he's definitely going to end up more like Eric Bledsoe than Reggie Jackson. Um, I think Ed, everyone who watches basketball knows Eric Bledsoe has been a really good player this year. And I think if watching DSJ and what, the seven Knicks games, uh, the difference between him and Reggie Jackson so far, I mean, there's a lot of them, but at least – it looks to me as if Dennis is trying to play defense um, and, you know, obviously athleticism thing. So I don't know. I'm curious to hear what you guys have to say about this. Yeah, I um, personally could definitely see the Bledsoe comparison. Um, I'm hoping maybe over time he becomes a better three-point shooter than Bledsoe mm. is because Bledsoe is a career 34% uh, three-point shooter. But yeah, I, I could definitely see that more so than I could see Reggie Jackson, at least based off how we've seen Dennis Smith play so far with the Knicks. And obviously, like, you know, it's a small sample size, but of course, based off of, you know, how, how he plays the game under Fisdale, where he's been keeping the turnovers under control, he's dishing a decent amount of assists, he's been, I, I won't say efficient, because he hasn't really been that efficient, Uh shooting the ball, but I mean, neither is Bledsoe to be fair. I mean, Bledsoe is not sure. really like the most efficient guy ever. Um, although he's definitely better than what Smith has been. Uh, I, I think like if, if Smith can work on his finishing ability around the rim, for sure, he could be more like Bledsoe. Um, and yeah, I think that's a pretty like solid comparison for him. As long as, you know, you mentioned the defense and like, I don't know if he'll ever be a fantastic individual defender. But no. I think that there's definitely room for him to be like a good help defender, which like if he and Nilakina work out long term, that would be a good role for him. Being able to just kind of hawk the passing lanes and stuff like that, which he's proven to be good at. Yeah, I will say I think I'm I'm in agreement with both of you. I, th I think Eric Bledsoe is the better comparison. I mean, not just in terms of ability, but in terms of playing style. And I, I think kind of a crucial thing to remember is um, Smith, Smith is 21 and already, I mean, he obviously wasn't that effective in Dallas and it's, it's hard to gauge what constitutes effectiveness on, on this Knicks team where it's just a completely lost season and he's playing a role that he would probably never play on a really good team, even in his prime. But Bledsoe came into the NBA at 21, which is the same age Smith is now at, at 22. Mm. Bledsoe was averaging just three points a game. And that was obviously because he was behind Chris Paul and there yeah. were others there, but he was also just, I mean, that season shooting 39% from the field. 20% from three. So if you're looking for a reason to be bullish on Smith's trajectory, you could look at sort of the transformation that Bledsoe went through from his time on the Clippers to his time on the Suns, where his first year in Phoenix was actually one of his best years in the NBA, 48% from two, uh, or overall 40 or 36% from three-point range. And I, I guess I kind of expect a lot of the same trajectory from Smith, where I don't think he's going to turn himself into a consistent player until his late 20s and maybe even that comes at a point where his athleticism is past his peak but I, I think at some point I, I do think he's crafty enough to find a way to eventually be a contributor on a good team I'm just not sure if it's in the current iteration stylistically that he is now where he's just this uber athlete and a guy who can dunk on everyone like I think it's going to take him a, a, a quite a long time to refine those aspects of his game and become a good enough shooter that he becomes a palatable point guard on a really, really good team. So I think he has a lot of Bledsoe's strengths and a lot, a lot of his faults as well. Yeah. I, don't, I, think, I think the thing I've appreciated about him most, and I kind of mentioned it before, is that I appreciate that he actually looks like he, he wants to be good at D. I don't know if you guys have seen the same thing. 
Um, but like, at least like he's trying. It's not like Hizonia where it's just like, I don't know, or Cantor, God forbid, where it's just like, I don't know what the hell's going on. Do you guys uh, like, do you guys see that too? I go, I go back and forth, but I, I think it, I think it's inconsistent. I think there are possessions where he's very locked in and like those, those sort of flash when you watch him and you're like, oh, okay, like I see what he can be. And it was interesting because we, we talked to the Locked On Mavs guys, Alex, you more than, than me even, so you can comment on this. But they were they were pretty bullish on his defense in general. And that was something I was kind of surprised at because I know even on this podcast, like I was probably coming from a place of ignorance, but I was saying, yeah, he's not really known for his defense. And he, he does flash really good moments. But you, you look at even, I can't remember, I think it might have been his first game against the Grizzlies where he, he was doing a pretty good job on Mike Conley for three or four possessions. And then he just sort of fell asleep for another three and Mike Conley hit like two threes in a layup. So you just, I mean, that, that's yeah. sort of NBA. The point guard position is, is so competitive. You need to do that possession after possession after possession. And I, I don't think he's at that point yet. But I, I do think the potential's there. And I do kind of agree with your general assessment that it's not like he's indifferent to it. Yeah. So, I mean, do you guys have any other comparisons? Do you think Eric Bledsoe is the guy in the NBA that he is most like or could be most like? Or do you think there's someone else? Because I, I racked my brain for him. Am I? Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I was, yeah, go ahead, Alex. Yeah, I was I was actually just going to say, hmm, I, I don't really know. I I guess I would I'm say, trying like, to think of if, like, if you want to go, if we're, if we're going, if, if we're leaving the present, I would say Steve, Steve Francis. Francis. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's one that's, that's been bandied about. Quite yeah. A, yeah. I can see Steve Francis. Like, right. so yeah, Steve scoring. Francis. Yeah. yeah. We, we got a, we, we got a few of these to get through. So let's, let's go on to um, Kevin Knox and here's here. This is, this is a loaded one. This is, this is ambitious. All right. Do you think yeah. more like rookie Kevin Durant or, Jeff Green and I am I am gonna flat out say I, I think I, I think pretty clearly Jeff Green. I mean, don't, don't, I mean Kevin Durant at the same age was averaging twenty points per game in the NBA as a rookie, and he I mean I think just because of the height and, and the shooting ability just projected a whole different ceiling than Knox. I mean, do do I hope that Knox will become a more consistent guy than Jeff Green? Uh, absolutely, and I, I think there are signs there that he he is a better overall player but I think right now in, in some ways Jeff Green is kind of a good comp for what we've seen from him so far just because of all the inconsistency and cross with the flashes of brilliance which I think is the dichotomy that sort of defined Jeff Green's career yeah, yeah I'm, there, mean, I'm there as well go ahead though Sam yeah I mean if he ends up being Jeff Green it'll be it'll be a bust I think but to uh yeah i never i was never insinuating he was going to be kd but from what i remembered from kd's rookie year was he he really averaged 20 points his rookie year see i didn't know that he did he um, averaged 20 so points he was, to, he was not did he shoot poorly yeah he he wasn't very efficient because he, he, wasn't, shot, he wasn't strong enough he shot 43% but i think the biggest difference to me between Knox and Durant is that Durant even his rookie year was getting to the free throw line five and a half times a game Oh yeah, it's and and Knox is averaging under three right now, so that's that's a big differentiator to me. Like I felt like Durant, even his rookie year, already looked like he had a lot more ball skills than Knox does, and mm-hmm. so that's probably the differentiator for me. I mean, I certainly hope that Knox develops more, and I hope that he's that he doesn't end up Jeff Green, but like statistically and game wise speaking. <laughs> He looks more like Jeff Green right now, and that's like not a horrible thing either necessarily, just because Jeff Green his rookie year looked like a more good. promising player. Yeah, exactly. So it's it not good. necessarily a bad thing. Just hopefully he takes a different path. You know what I mean? Yeah, Jeff Green had good years too, um, mm-hmm. like really solid years. Uh, this one was more. This one was definitely all the two on the extreme. So I was definitely interested to see if you guys had any other comparisons on Knox. I will, even before we get to that, I just want to throw one more thing out. If you want to be bullish about Kevin Knox's shooting down the road, because I'm actually, I'm just looking at this now. Kevin Durant, I did not realize this, only a 29% three-point shooter as a rookie. So, I mean, again. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, something to, something to cling on to for, uh, for Knicks fans. But that, that, that's a great question. I'm trying to think of who's I'm, a good guy. I've got another good comp. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I've got a good ceiling comp for him sure. that I don't know if he'll ever reach, but this would be like what I would envision his maybe more realistic than becoming the next Kevin Durant. I could maybe see Kevin Knox becoming the next Richard Lewis. Oh, oh, yeah, that's great. I like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. if he can really hit his ceiling. 
Well, and he's like he's more dynamic, or I think he like should be more dynamic in transition than Rashard Lewis ever was, and off the dribble like that. That to me, like if you want to be bullish on Kevin Knox becoming an All Star type player, it's like those little flashes he has of like getting low and like kind of crouching around a pick and roll and speeding to the rim or in transition, like his ability to go to a basket, alter a shot, still finish. I mean, the floater. It's kind of the stuff almost beyond the shooting because I just like, I, I like Richard Lewis in terms of like the level of effectiveness he can be. And like, in terms of like overall ability as a scorer, I don't think he'll ever be that level of shooter, but I, I do think he'll potentially be able to offset that with a more diverse offensive game. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Richard Lewis wasn't just a jump shooter either though. It's not like he was Peja or something. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like he was, he could put the ball on the floor a little bit, just not to the level of someone like a Durant or right. something like that. There's there's just moments where I'm watching Knox play where like I can see like it's almost like you feel like you can see in the future where you can see where he would be able to get anywhere he wants on the court and do anything he wants on the court. Like it seems like that raw ability is there. Um, it's like pretty impressive, but then it's just so inconsistent right now. And I can't place whether the inconsistency is growing pains or part of his game. Yeah, think- yeah it's tough to tell. Yeah, and I think the the environment he operates in isn't very conducive to success. Like, I just think I, I, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt because there's just there's so many things working against him. And I, I mean, we we've talked about it a lot on this podcast, but I, I will say like the last like twenty or so games have lowered my opinion of him as a player, like in terms of long term upside. Just just yeah. a that's that's probably where the Jeff Green thing bloomed from was like the last twenty games. Right, right. All right, let, let's go on to the next one. Um, is, is Frank Nilakina more like Patrick Beverly or Drew Holiday? Um, I, I'm going to say pretty clearly Patrick Beverly at this point. Um, and and to me, like that's almost like like in, in a way, like this is I think this is the rare one you had here where like almost like the worst player, like I would almost think of as his ceiling. Where like in in a way, like I mean, he he has like higher potential than Beverly ever did, just because he's so much bigger. Of course, if he could if he could become the type of shooter. Beverly is while I mean remaining on the same defensive track that he's currently on like if you if you give me that right now like I'll I'll take it with Frank Nelakina. Yeah. I think we're all hoping for Drew Holiday uh, of course but I, this raise I think like I said I agree I think it's Pat Beverly at the moment. This is uh, another question I had based on this Frank thing was if they get two max players say it's Kyrie and and KD do you think that negatively affects his ceiling or do you think it uh, positively affects it because I was under the impression that it would negatively impact his ceiling because he would immediately be placed into uh, a role player and not really given room to grow. Whereas I think if it was Mitch Robinson with those two, he was his ceiling would grow. I think personally, first off, I'll just throw my hat into the Pat Beverly camp too. Of course, but put simply, just because I think that if you look at Drew Holiday's shooting numbers for his career, even as a rookie, like you can look at his pure per game average of eight points a game and be like, Oh, he didn't score as much, but like he's never shot worse than 34% from three in his career uh, out before this year where he's shooting 32%, but with, you know, a little more of a workload, Mm -hmm. but, uh, and he's never shot worse than 43% overall. And Frank, like, unfortunately can't even sniff those numbers right now. Um, So that's, that's what I'm kind of worried about as far as that comparison. I think the defense, you can compare them to either of them. It's just where the offense comes to. Um, as far as whether it would help him or hinder him to have other superstars. In terms of his potential. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of, of the belief that it might actually help him. Um, because even if he plays like the two guard to Kyrie or something like that, mm-hmm. like let's say you throw him out there as the two guard and Kyrie's your point guard, Durant's your small forward, power forward, whatever, and then whoever else, Mitch at the center, hopefully Zion or something. That would be freaking sweet, but whatever the case. I think that having players out there that can hit shots and that know where they need to be on the floor will help Frank a lot because a lot of what Frank looks to do is set things up, and he likes he likes structure, and he likes things to flow. And I think it would help him from, first off, like if he's bringing the ball down the floor, it would help him to have players that really knew where they needed to be and had the confidence to hit shots when he finds them for the shots. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times I, I think Frank misses out on assists and stuff because guys aren't taking the shots that they're being set up for. Um, but then beyond that, 
I just think it would take a lot of pressure off to him and maybe allow him to sort of develop into I don't think Frank's ever going to turn into like a megastar, I guess is my biggest not. thing. Yeah, yeah. So I think his ceiling is to be a really high functioning role player. And that would be his best path to get to a high functioning role player. Like, a, you know, if we're, if we're setting lofty ceilings for Frank, I would say like Igadala or something like that could be his like oh. lofty ceiling. Yeah, I'm 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 100% with you, Alex. I, I just I, I feel like we've already seen from his minutes with Kristaps last year. Um, insert snake noises for you guys. Um, I, I think uh, he, he that that was kind of when he was at his best, and like he he does have the type of game where he's just sort of filling in on the margins. Like you you like you have Kyrie in your backcourt. You you need him to guard the best guy every night, so Kyrie doesn't have to worry about that. Like he's going to be there. Um, you you have Kyrie and Kevin Durant breaking down a defense and you need a guy to attack, uh, kind of be a secondary attacker and toss some lobs to Zion. Like he, he's going to be able to do that. So I, I think he sort of fills in all the holes perfectly. And it, it, I, I think it is, it's a great question you asked Sam, because sometimes like I would argue even for role player types, it would be better earlier in their career that they could kind of um, stretch their wings and find out exactly what they're not good at and, and good at. So they don't have any um, regrets about having to be in a role player role. And they're not frustrated by being in a role player role. And we almost we almost saw that in a negative way last year on the Celtics, where Tatum and Jalen Brown got to be the guys on the Eastern Conference Finals team. And now you're seeing um, sort of the negative ramifications of that this season, where they are not necessarily happy with the role in the Celtics, and it's causing a whole lot of issues. But conversely, I think come playoff time, they're all going to be the better for it. And it's a reason that I'm sort of still bullish on the Celtics, despite their seeming struggles. And I, I think the same will be true for Frank. And I think it'll be double. So because the guy has no ego and that's kind of what we all love about yeah. him. So I sort of think he's, he's perfect for that spot. Yeah. I think he, like, as you guys said, he's a perfect compliment for those players. I just, I was being selfish for Frank because I know he wouldn't do it. So I was just curious to see if <laughs> like, if he could be bigger without them. And obviously I'd rather have them and him be a role player, of course. But like, I was just thinking for him because I know he wouldn't do that. <laughs> I think you just came up with like a premise for like a good like SNL sketch where like Frank just like walks around and you you walk around in like a red shirt that says Frank's ego on it and like you go yeah. to the club and they're like I'm sorry Mr. Neil Keen it's gonna be 20 minutes again he's like all right no problem and then you come up and you just start you just start screaming you're you're like uh, it's like the Key and Peele Luther to, to yeah I guess someone's got to do it for the kids right 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 no I don't I I think you should legitimately send in a resume. Like he could, he could definitely use that person. All right, all right, let's move on. I think, I think we're all gonna. I, I can't imagine that uh, one of us will say the latter player here, but we'll, we'll go over it anyways. Is Mitchell Robinson more Clint Capella or Nerlens Noel, guys? Capella. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on Capella too. Screw it, I'm going higher. I'm gonna say he's more like Anthony Davis. Oh man. He's he's Anthony Davis with better shot blocking ability <laughs> and two eyebrows. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going with, I think, I think Capella is just perfect for him. And it was something we, it, it, it's funny because I mean, I've referenced this before, but I remember last year, like, I mean, obviously that's kind of the ideal archetype for, like, if you're, if you're not going to have an Anthony Davis type of big, the, the guy you want is, is a Clint Capella to play off of a star shooting guard. You, you want a rim roller and a, and a rim protector yeah. on the end with, with some ability beyond that when needed, but that's like, you want him to just be perfect in those two areas and and the other stuff on the margins is kind of less important and, and to me that mitch robinson his his body and his game so far is the best possible version of that and for like the longest time like that would have been capella or um i guess if you want to prioritize defense more rudy gobert and i i 100 I, I think mitch is going to fit in perfectly with those two like you you want to say the cross between those two guys i i, I genuinely believe that's mitch on the real yeah. i'm still i'm still sticking by my Amari Stoudemire with better defense comparison. I think he could actually become that as far as a threat, like being a threat in the pick and roll. And if he ever develops just like an elbow jumper, like we could legitimately be looking at an Amari type player. His stroke was looking pretty good in that video that got, that got sent out the other day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, whatever empty gym. Shot. <laughs> no, and of his, course. His of release course. is compact though. Like it's kind of interesting. It's very, it looks like, natural at least. Yeah, it's but it's like very and I mean, it's not even unique to like anything like I've seen other shooters do this, but it was just kind of weird to see like it's very like compact to his body the way that his release is like it's like a quick, a quick push out, you know what I mean? Rather mm -hmm. than like a like a lengthy over the head stroke. 
but yeah. it looked like it was working. And he's tall enough that like you don't have to have a super high arcing release when you're that tall. So just practice was- corner threes, man. That's that's the biggest advice. Just practice corner threes. Yeah, that would be sick. Oh, God, can you imagine freaking <laughs> Mitch Robinson making corner threes? Oh man. Oi. I will. I'll throw out the qual, and I always throw this out. I know. I know you basically said it too, Alex. But I, I'll, I'll like. I'll never forget. Like I was when I was in college. I, I got to um, cover like Suns shoot arounds, and after like one day after practice, they were having a shooting contest, and I just watched Tyson Chandler drain like thirteen threes in a row. And it just it just made me come to the realization. I'm like, like I mean, first of all, just like, oh my god, these guys are just just so much better than like even what you see in a game. Because when when you think about it, like when they're playing in front of a crowd against NBA-level defenses. Like, those are, like, the least possible, optimal conditions for success possible, unless you're playing an MSG against <laughs> the Knicks. Then, then you're just sort of um, um, set. But it, it, it does, like, I, I just, like, even, like, when a guy's form looks nice and I'm like, oh, okay, he looks, like, way improved. Like, I, I can just never take those open gym videos too seriously. Because uh, yeah. I think it's every guy in the NBA, with the possible exception of maybe, like, Bismack Biombo, like, can, can make some threes. When, when there's just no one in front of them, but I, I do, I do have high hopes. He's super young, so let's uh, we'll, we'll keep our fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah, we're man. I'm excited for Mitch. And for the record, I only threw out Nerlens because, like, I literally couldn't think of anyone else as like a floor candidate in terms of his potential. I couldn't think of anyone. No, yes. I mean, I don't know. I think I think if Nick Sands are a little bit more like reasonable, like if like we had more like successes like we might be a little bit more wary and be like okay wait like i mean there there are like rookies who like put up big shot blocking stats before but it, it just it feels different and and because i really need something to go right with the knicks I'm, I'm gonna roll with it all right so let's take a break we'll come back and we'll we'll go through a couple more comparisons and then finishing up talking chris taps porzingis's future that next on locked on knicks the nba playoffs are right around the corner and locked on nba is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, uh, Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, our first ever Fan Friday guest, making some history, Sam Montella. We, we are sticking with the player comparison game and uh, going a little bit more low stakes, but then we kind of build back up to, to a loaded final question about KP that I, I loved. You just slipped it in the end here, Sam. <laughs> I, I almost didn't notice it. It was really, it was, it was quite, quite savage, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited to get into it. All right, uh, is Noah Vonley? More like rookie Noah Vonley or pre-Thunder Patrick Patterson? I, I, can't, I can't have any strong opinions on this one, but I love, I love the premise. Yeah, I mean, I don't, yeah, this is me racking my brain at like midnight. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to give him, I'm going to give him Raptors Patrick Patterson. Sure. I mean, that like, I was like, once again, I'm just trying to think of the, the, the best comparisons and just that like stretch four. If he can learn to hit these threes a little bit better, I mean, he's a good passer and, a, and a, at least a savvy defender. Uh, he could be he could be a really, really good role player, and I, I think it would be good for us to sign him longer term. Yeah, I could see I could see Patrick Patterson. You know, I don't know why, but I thought that that Pat Pat's numbers were a little more gaudy than they are, uh, like in previous years, and they're really not. Mm. So, I, I think that's pretty reasonable. You know, like maybe like Patrick Patterson with a little bit better passing as well because yeah. Vonley's definitely flashed those passing chops mm-hmm. at different points this year but yeah I mean from the three-point percentage perspective I mean Patterson's a career 37 percent three-point shooter uh he topped out at what like 44 percent in like half a season Whew. uh after he got traded to Sacramento that one year so oh yeah I forgot about that yeah, so I mean, I I think that's a pretty reasonable comparison for him. I I don't think rookie Noah Vonley, I like he was pretty bad his rookie year. Like he definitely yeah, I, know. I was like, is this a blip? Is more like the was yeah. is this a blip this year? And I don't no, think so. I don't I don't think it's a blip. I think he's legitimately developed. I I don't yeah. I I was thinking for a while this year that he had developed into like a starter, and I don't know if I necessarily believe that anymore. But I think that he's definitely developed himself into a quality bench big that can defend, shoot a little bit, handle the ball a little bit, which is kind of underrated and cool 
and he could definitely rebound the ball. So yeah. I, I, I like him. I, I, um, you know, I definitely want to bring him back too, as long as the price is right. He might be playing himself into another barely more than minimum contract at this point, you know, if the market <laughs> kind of dries up. So we'll see if this like swoon continues uh, after the all-star break, but yeah, we'll see. I, I think though for the long term in his career, he'll, he'll be like a solid role player. Yeah. I, I just, I just can't help but feel like, I mean, I mean, you guys kind of hinted at it, but his, his shooting is like just totally his swing skill. Like if he, if he can get up to 37, 38%, like I, I genuinely believe he could have a 12, 13 year NBA career, which is something I never thought I'd say about Noah Vonley. Like I, I thought he'd be out of the league already at this point. And, and if he, if that shooting doesn't get back up and I mean, people even earlier in the season were sort of calling it out, like, all right, he's shooting 40%, but it's like when Rondo is shooting like 38%, it's like you know, when you have 10 seconds to load up, stare at the rim, pull out a protractor to like measure like the idea. <laughs> for it um i mean guys are, you're, you're gonna hit your share of shots and like the second he started getting defended even like moderately more seriously like that just totally went away so if he can if he can get up to the point where his early season shooting is who he actually is which i think is a little optimistic because he was like well over 40 percent for a stretch like, but if he can even hover around 37 percent, like I, I think he could be a long time nba player with sort of his his other abilities but i, I want to move on to um kadeem allen you, you threw out two different comps for Kadeem Allen and I, I think me and Alex are are well on the record at this point as, as being on Kadeem Allen Island or I don't know it's, it's growing it might be it might be a full city at this point but um <laughs> you threw out uh Trey Burke and uh Tim Frazier I, I'm gonna go a step further I, I think he he is better and this is the first time I think uh, uh, Alex I guess you said it with Mitch versus Capella I, I think he's better than both of these guys to me and I, that might be sort of more what I look for in a backup point guard in terms of ability to play with pace, search out teammates, and just be as efficient as humanly possible. While you can make the argument, certainly, that Trey Burke is obviously capable of leading an offense, like for one night out of five on a better basis. But I, I guess Kadeem Allen is just more my cup of tea. So I'm, I'm, I'm team Kadeem Allen over, over both of these guys. I, yeah. I I threw out Tim Frazier because I went to Penn State and I watched him play. Um, <laughs> He's a beast. And I remember. Yeah, he was he was really good and like I'm I'm really happy for him. I'm kind of shocked he's still in the league, but I feel like every time he gets minutes and I look in the box score, the dude has like seven assists. So I like I don't like that. Kadeem Allen. I'd be honest, I haven't gotten excited about him because half of my mind is on next year. So it's like cool. I really, I'm really happy for him that he's doing what he's doing. But like, I'm not. I like, I haven't gotten excited about it. And like, yeah, I'll give him. I'll definitely give him over Trey Burke, though. Yeah, I'd say thousand percent. He's better than Trey Burke. I'm not even gonna justify yeah. that with a proper <laughs> response. That is an insult, sir. Uh, but t- Tim Frazier. I mean, yeah, maybe that's what he he comes like when he comes down from this kind of like high that he's on right now. Maybe that's where he ends up. I mean, you also have to consider, like, Kadeem Allen is playing decent minutes on this team because of mm-hmm. injuries and because the team is so talent, you know, decrepit nice. that, yeah. you know, on an actual good team, he's, like, at best your third or fourth guard probably. Yeah, exactly. Which is what Tim Frazier is, and his stats reflect yeah. it. So I could I could definitely see him being, like, a Tim Frazier-type player. I hope he becomes even more than that. I mean, of course, but... Um, it probably won't be with the Knicks, though. No, I could see. I actually think so. I just like tweeted, or did I tweet? Or I, this might have been the PNT comment section. I forget. Someone asked me like, "Well, why aren't they signing Kadeem Allen to a to a um, regular two contract year or whatever it is? Because yeah. he's already on a two way. Yeah. Um, so why are they not signing him and converting him like they do with Trier? And I think the answer is is that they're gonna keep him on the the, the two way deal because then they get his restricted free agency rights after the season for like almost nothing. Like True. his, his cap hold is going to be like a million dollars or less. Um, and then they get matching rights if he signs a deal somewhere else and also can go over the cap to sign him and stuff like that. So I think, um, Ron Baker deal. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Three years eight mil. yeah, just don't give him the, just don't <laughs> use up an exception on him. Cause that would be stupid. But they're, they're doing it the right way, I think, with him. Like, I do think their plan is to keep him and, you know, maybe even keep some of these other guys like John Jenkins and stuff like that based off how they're they're operating right now. But, yeah. The theory I, is they're, they're, they did the John Jenkins contract so they could use him in the, the Davis trade like the Rockets did for Paul. 
Mm-hmm. That's definitely true. Yeah, I saw someone tweet that the other day. Uh, I think it was... It might have been Tommy Beer. I, I forget, though. It might have been Tommy Beer, or maybe it was Giberman, Brian Giberman. I forget. Mm. Someone, someone sent that tweet the other day. I forget. But yeah, it was, it, it's interesting. I'm uh, I'm intrigued to see how that all goes now. But then the uh, the catch comes in where Kevin Durant says, "I'll come, but you have to keep John Jenkins." And then then it's decision time. <laughs> but it yeah. was at that point. All right, I think I think this next one, I, this next one was almost like I think the most intriguing of the, of the entire lot for me. Um, is Alondra Trier more uh, sweet? Uh, I got two girls like Lou Will. Or uh, Dion Waiters, and I, I genuinely like. I, I, I wanted to put some thought into this, and I think I'm not sure who it is, but I think there's a better comparison out there for him somewhere in the middle. Of these two guys, because he, the shooting that he's shown so far, and I want to, I want to see more of it down the stretch, because I, out of college, like no one had any idea he was going to be this level of three point shooter in the NBA. Makes me think he's better than Dion Waiters, but Lou Williams has turned himself into such a good player. Even if yeah. or even if Trier like is sort of on that trajectory with the rookie season he's having, it feels just a little bit optimistic because Lou, I remember, was just so much younger when he came into the NBA too. So I want to, and also like I, I just don't think their games are even if they kind of score in the same spots. I don't think they're extremely similar with Trier being um a little quite a bit more physical. But I, I don't know. Do you guys can you guys kind of think of like a middle ground between those two guys? Because that that's sort of what I'm looking for. I think. I, th- I actually kind of like the Lou Williams comparison, if we're being honest. Like, it's a little lofty, but like, if you look at if you look at Lou Williams's like age twenty two, twenty three seasons, which he already had, you know, three four years of experience in the NBA at that point, pretty statistically similar as far as like the percentages they shot and stuff. And you know, True's averaging a little less or whatever, but he's playing less minutes than Williams was at that point. I guess maybe you could say like a um, like smaller, not even that much smaller. Like maybe like a Will Barton type. Maybe he's kind of like Will Barton. Yeah, I like that. You know, like a good. Yeah, I like good, Will Barton. Yeah, like mostly there to shoot, but can pass it a little bit. You know, if you need him to. Not really like a point guard, but like just kind of a combo guard, but like taller, so he can kind of like float between the two and the three. I guess that's sort of my comparison for him. But I, I don't hate the Lou Will comparison either. I mean, it, it's you know it's it's easy to look at it now. Like where Lou Lou Williams has been in the league, what like quite a long time. Yeah, like seven, at least a decade. You got to add up all the teams on Basketball Reference because <laughs> <laughs> it's he's been around for a while though. I mean, so oh five oh six was rookie year. It's now eighteen nineteen. So that's what thirteen years. Yeah. Um. So that and he's still at his peak almost yeah he's really he's reached his peak over the last couple years which is wild to think about but like he's he really like escalated over the years he used to be more like Trier than he is now and Mm. he kind of grew into the player that he is now so I think there's a shot I mean I don't think it's entirely likely but I think there's a shot yeah I think we'll take it if he's sweet Lou no that would that'd be great I don't my, my whole thing with that is like and I think Sam, I'm, I'm kind of interested to to hear your opinion on this. With, with Trier, like I'm always like, I'm always questioning like, do I believe my eyes? And like when he right when he came back from injury and he was just like terrible, like he was shooting like 10% from three and like he had no explosiveness and the jumper just looked like it had like no consistency whatsoever. I was like, okay, like this is like more what I expected. And then the truth is probably somewhere in the middle between like how he started the season and how he came back after injury. And that was going to be like his long-term trajectory. But then over the last like month and a half, he's been about as good as he was earlier in the season. If he, even if he's not putting up quite the same scoring numbers and his passing has, has really taken a leap that I haven't quite predicted um, that, that it would get to. Do, do you think what we're seeing from him over the last like month or so is, is the actual Alonso Trier? Or do you, do you think this is still kind of just like a 30, 40 game mirage? It's it's so hard to tell because because of how talentless, like we said before, the Knicks are. It's like if you put them on a good team, what would we see? And I'm genuinely like I love what I'm seeing, but I'm a little I'm a little scared for him because I can't get this this idea out of my head that he's like like obviously without the shitty attitude, but like Nick Young, and like that that idea just keeps coming into my head, and it might not be based in any reality or fact, but it's there and it's scary. Um, so I don't know. For me, the jury's out on Alonzo Trier. Uh, I, I really don't know what to say. I really don't know what to think about him. I mean, I think that's kind of a good 
floor ceiling comparison. Like floor would be like Nick Young or bad J.R. Smith. Minus <laughs> again, minus like the weird attitude problems. Yeah, yeah. Like because he definitely seems to have his head screwed on straight. Uh, yeah, I that much. Other than that one DM incident where he like yelled at the fan, but <laughs> other than that, like I think he learned his lesson pretty quick from that one. But yeah, I don't know. I. The more I'm looking at Barton now, the more I'm like, damn, maybe he is kind of like Will Barton. I feel good about yeah, this. That's not bad. I think yeah, that's kind of our like middle ground between between like Nick Young and like Lou Williams as far and as we'll like, take Will like, Barton too. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I mean Will Barton would be a great a great spot for him to end up as an undrafted guy who came into the league at twenty three years old. I mean, that would be pretty fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I guess my, my big thing with him is, like, I'm interested, like, like hypothetically, like, I mean, fingers crossed, like, the Knicks build this super team next year. Like, how how tenable is his defense? And, like, is he, like, a guy who, like, in a hypothetical, like, I'm not even talking about, like, a final series, like, like in, like, first, second round. Like, is he someone who's going to get exposed on that end? Or is he, can he survive and will his offense be good enough that it's worth playing him against other teams' benches? That, that's sort of the the question I have with him. I mean, again, it's getting way, way ahead of ourselves. Like, even with an undrafted guy, if you get to the point of asking that question, he's already a massive, massive success. True. All right. Uh, next one is is our guy, uh, D-Dot, as you put it, Damian Dotson. More Danny Green or Tony Snell? And th- this is an interesting one to me because when he's going and, he, like, he, like, I, we said it a bunch of times on the pod, like, he, like aesthetically, he's very Danny Green. His jump shot looks beautiful. He's very fluid defensively. He he makes like offensively like he's not going to destroy you off the dribble, but he's very opportunistic and he's not like a, like a stick out there. Like he can get stuff going when there's an opening off of a sort of secondary creation opportunity. But I don't really have a strong feel for this one. The stats certainly say he's more Tony Snell, but I'm I'm interested to hear what you guys think about it. Yeah. So you go ahead, Sam. Yeah, go for it. So I never like. When I thought Danny Green, I never, I ne- I do not think Damian Dotson will be able to shoot like Danny Green shot when he was with the Spurs even now, and he was winning uh, championships. But like it was more that that prototypical like, like re- actually really useful three and D wing that you can use in conference finals and finals games. Like you think he'll be that kind of role player, and then Tony Snell is like for me was kind of the opposite because when Tony Snell, like first was coming up with the Bulls like I know a lot of people and even a little bit myself thought like yeah this is gonna be the guy who fills out that Bulls five and like takes them to the next level like that gives him that versatile wing defender and and three ball shooter that can really bring him up and he just was never he just never got there and then even with the Bucks the Bucks out of I thought the same thing I was like yeah Tony Snell's a nice young player like now what is he like 29 now and he's just like kind of super average and like not that good um and like with Dotson I can see that already forming me like I think Dotson can be like a really really solid NBA player solid role player and that's what I'm hoping I actually think that's what he 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 will be but there's the lingering Tony Snell thing definitely in the back of my head yeah I'm more inclined to believe that like I think he's a better defender than Tony Snell like at least to my eye and you know I'm not I'm no Tony Snell expert but what <laughs> Neither am I, really. <laughs> yeah, but from what I've seen of Tony Snell, I think he's a little bit better of a defender. You just got to, like, the big thing with Dodd is he just really needs to find consistency. And mm. that's the biggest thing I think that's going to, you know, either either sink or swim with him is if he can consistently find a 40% three-point shot or greater, hopefully. Like, you would hope it would be greater than 40%. Uh, that would make him, like, a solid starter for years to come to me. And if he can't find that, then he's going to be like, I think he'll be on an NBA roster forever, but he would go yeah. from like solid starter to like fourth, fifth, like utility guard forward that you mostly only use when, you know, people are injured or whatever. I'm more inclined to believe that he could become a starter though, or at least like a solid bench piece. You know what I mean? I'm trying to think of like someone over the years that's been like maybe not necessarily a starting shooting guard but like someone who can come off the bench for defense and a little shooting the first one that came to my mind and i don't even know if this is a good one because i don't remember his game that that well was uh james posey okay yeah actually i could i could kind of see that because posey was a player on a championship team who played a crucial role off the bench he was on that celtics team yeah and and provided some shooting for them and and a lot of defense at different points 
I was thinking apparently my impression of this guy for his whole career is way lower than it should be. But I was thinking like Roger Bell, but Roger Bell oh, was man. actually way better than way I thought. faster, way faster. Yeah. And I looked up his stats. Roger Bell shot like 44% from three on <laughs> almost six attempts one year, seven second sons. Yeah. It was that exact team. And then he yeah. shot 41% the next year. So I don't, that's not going to be Roger Bell. That's, no. That was a bad choice. That was, I, I'm like remembering late career Roger Bell, apparently. Um, yeah, I didn't. I, I kind of like the Posey one though. I like Posey. Yeah, it's a good. A good I, I was about to throw out like super duper like poor man's Rip Hamilton, but again, just like grossly <laughs> like. But because that's the thing, because like aesthetically, like he does kind of look like those guys, like especially when he's rolling, because he he's just like he's so fluid. Like I, I would say, like he's in a lot of ways, he's like the most fluid guy in the team. Like he just like looks good playing basketball. Yeah, productive wise, he he's he's sort of he's sort of Tony Snell. So far, so I guess we, we got to see we got to see how that dichotomy sort of uh, sorts itself out. All right, so to finish up uh, this initial edition of Fan Friday, Sam, you just you just hit us over the head with a, like a warhammer to, to end this. Um, you you want us to predict Kristaps uh, Porzingis's next five years? Um, that, that that's so loaded, Alex. I want you to I want you to bring, bring everyone down a little bit, so then when I when I'm really optimistic about it, people people can just hate on me, and we can we can wrap it up there. You're being, you're gonna be optimistic about it. Yeah, I'm gonna. I will be. I'm gonna be fairly optimistic about it. I'm gonna say he um, first first year he comes back and he's just not the same, and he can't hit anything and he has no explosion, and then he and, <laughs> he and Doncic get in a huge fight at the end of year one. Doncic banishes him from the team. This is if he, if he even resigns there, which isn't even a guarantee. <laughs> But uh, he resigns there. He and Doncic get in a huge fight. He gets banished for the whole second year. He spends it Joe Kim knowing, just like <laughs> off exploring jungles. He goes and visits Phil Jackson and reconciles with him. Uh, <laughs> they smoke some peyote in the Arizona desert and then and then ride ATVs up to Montana. Jesus. Um, then he comes back the next year after that and uh, has kind of a revival year but doesn't quite, like, put it together. But he plays pretty well, and that's his third year. Okay, fourth year, uh, I don't know. I just want to get to the last year, because the last year he slithers into someone's garden and finds a home for himself as a garden snake, and that's his fifth year. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I I, I, I don't... The, the real that was answer creative, this, at least. Yeah, the real answer to this, outside of all the jokes, is I don't, I don't care to look into the future with him because I want to strike a fine line where I, I don't actually want to wish bad on him. Like I certainly, the first yeah. part is just a joke. I don't actually want him to be like injured for his whole life because that's cruel and nobody deserves that, um, and it's ruined so many potentially great careers. However. I also don't want him to find success because if he does, then that means that maybe the Knicks lost the trade. Although if quite frankly, if, if Durant and Kyrie Irving come and fill that cap space, then the Knicks win the trade. Regardless. See ya. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't care. I don't care what Pazingas turns into at that point. Um, but it's, it's tricky. It's a tricky thing to get into. I want to, I, I don't want well for him, but I don't want him to be like crippled. <laughs> I guess it's my I guess it's my thing there. You just want him I, to be mediocre. Yeah, I do realistically think, and I've said this to Gavin before, uh, based off of Mark Cuban's track record with like um, getting free agents and team building and stuff of that nature. I know technically he's not the like GM, but he definitely makes personnel decisions. Um, I I do think if I was a Mavs fan, I mean, I'd be super excited about Doncic and Porzingis. But I don't think that those two alone, even at full strength, are enough to no. get you much higher than the sixth seed in the West because the okay. West is just so loaded. I'm in yeah, total um, disagreement with you. I, but, you know, I, yeah, finish up. And, well, Duran will be on the Knicks, so the West will open up a bit. Yeah, but even if he leaves <laughs> and they just go back to the same team that won 73 games, I mean, that's not really, like, going to kill anybody. Shit. But. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's kind of my thought on the whole Porzingis thing. Like, even if things work out and he gets healthy and he stays with the Mavs, I'm not 100% confident that Cuban is going to be able to build like a perennial 
contender around them. I think they could be a perennial playoff team. And maybe it would actually kind of be reminiscent of Dirk's first, like, however many years in the league, like nine years in the league or whatever, when the Mavericks were always really good during the regular season, but, like, could never really get over the hump. So that's how I feel about it objectively, semi-objectively. I can't be sorry. Uh, uh, I yeah. got a mine is slightly different. It doesn't end with him living in a garden, though. That was I did I did think about that. I didn't want to totally rule that out uh, right off the bat. But um, I don't know. I, I'm a lot more I'm a lot more optimistic about it than you are. And like in my mind, like at least like it's kind of like it, it's more like two sliding doors almost. Like either like he's going to be perennially hurt, and like I have like like as much as like I have like derided the trade and I've been upset about it. Like I've like I've acknowledged the injuries is like a very real thing the fact that like he seems to wear down after 30 games is like a very real thing like I I don't disregard that like I think there's like a distinct possibility that like he's Yao Ming and like injuries like just keep him from reaching his upside because guys that are bigger than seven foot two and are have some level of fluidity I mean history has shown us time and time again that that doesn't last and like if it does last like I mean you look at like a Will Chamberlain Kareem Abdul-Jabbar those guys end up being generational and when it doesn't it, it's awful and it sucks but I, I think if it I'm gonna look towards the positive and say like I'm uh, next season like I don't think he'll be like close to 100 percent and I think he'll have like a lot of the same issues he had his first three years in the league where he wore down early like he has some injuries like probably only ends up like especially with like maintenance and stuff only ends up playing like 50 games or so next season but I think going forward after that like if he can stay healthy and sort of like rediscover the form he had early in his third season like I'm I'm of the belief and I've said this on this podcast before like I think Luka Doncic is going to end up being one of the two or three best players in the NBA and will like evolve into like a James Harden level offensive force like I genuinely believe he's on that trajectory and like to me at least like with how precocious of a passer Doncic is like I can't really imagine like a better scenario for KP and um, I'm, I'm not sure how strong that team is going to be in terms of filling out the rest of the roster like that's obviously a very real question but I think those two by themselves like I, I think it's going to put them amongst the two or three best teams in the west year after year after year so I'm, I'm obviously a little bit more bullish but it comes down to his health which who knows yeah I mean I mean five years to me Giannis and Luca will be the two best players in the league definitely but I, for me for KP at least I think uh, to do a little joke one, I think his brother convinces him to take the uh, the qualifying offer. He gets hurt again, and then he signs with the Nets and becomes for a max and becomes fulfills his draft day uh, prophecy of becoming Andrea Bargnani. Uh, <laughs> That's dark, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but realistically, I mean, the the injury thing was something, and like the uh, the stamina thing was something I was always worried about, but I was willing to bury it down deep inside because we had a great player. Um, and now, like I can kind of come out with it, and you just mentioned it. Like I am worried about his injuries, but like like you said, if he's healthy and he gets a and and I think they did a pretty good job of clearing their cap with the Harrison Barnes thing, but I'm not sure if they can get some pieces around and get him healthy. They and with if Rick Carlisle sticks around, they could they could do some serious damage in the next two years in the last two or three years. I mean, it's intriguing because the early rumors as to why they cleared up that space is that they want to make a run at Vucevic. And I already already question their decision making if they think that Vucevic is going to be an ideal partner next to Porzingis because I really don't know if that's like the answer. I, I could just see Rick Car- Carlisle just doing some crazy things with that and oh. just making them so good. He'll make, he'll make like Rick Carlisle is such a good coach. And yeah. He's ridiculous. They, they'd be at least passable, but I don't know if like, if the, his, the brief history that we have tells us that that's the best situation for him or not, because you don't want to pull him away from the rim too much on defense. Porzingis. No, like, I agree. Vuce- Vucevic can't defend the perimeter. I don't know. I don't want to speculate too much about that because it's, it's, <laughs> it's annoying to me to think about that team with him. It'd be uh, weird. But whatever. But Seems yeah. obvious that they're going for the European thing when they do that. It's almost, yeah, pain, almost painfully obvious. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's definitely true. And they still have like Berea and yeah. I think they have at least one other like Euro. Well, they still have, they might talk Dirk in the stay in one more year. I get the feeling he'll just become an instant assistant coach though next year. And they have a uh, coach Costas Antetokounmpo too. So they have uh, the Giannis state <laughs> already all set. If, if Giannis joins that team, it's over when he's a free agent. That, <laughs> that would be it. Like, 
Anyways, uh, Sam, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, do, do you have anything to, to plug, anything we could share out? Any, you, you want some Twitter followers? We, 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 we live to serve here on Lockdown Knicks. Uh, no, I got nothing to plug. I'm content with my, my 150 Twitter followers, I think. So <laughs> not worried about it. Uh, I just appreciate coming on. I had a blast. What's your instant feedback? Did you have a good time? Yeah, I was I was excited when I heard you guys were going to do this. I actually never thought I'd be on it. Just so happens I'm the first. So I hope I set a good benchmark. You definitely did, dude. You sound like a natural, to be totally honest. I'm a salesman, so. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I did that for years, too. <laughs> I think everybody works sales at some point in their you life, for the most part. <laughs> it changes you, though. Yeah, it definitely does. <laughs> All right, on that note, <laughs> we'll wrap up uh, this edition of uh, Locked on Knicks. Again, Sam Kent, thank you enough for coming on. You, you set an extremely high bar for anyone coming on in the future. And uh, we will be back uh, over the weekend uh, reviewing the Knicks post-game, uh, first game post-All-Star break against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Until then, be well. Enjoy your weekend. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.